Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. We're back. The last time you heard from me, Shohei Otani had just won the MVP award. But now, a lot has happened. Free agency's gone crazy. Major League Baseball is locked out. We're going to get into all of that stuff. We're going to round the bases with some top storylines, of course. But in a little while, we're going to do some lists because you know I love me a good list. Who's having the best free agency so far? to this point. Now that we're locked out, we're gonna kind of be in a little bit of a freeze, but up to this point, who's had the best? I'm gonna rank those, and I'm gonna talk about some more predictions where I think the rest of the players, the rest of the free agents are gonna go. But Major League Baseball is locked out, but flipping Bats is locking back in. Let's do this, and let's round the bases off the top. I gotta talk about the Texas Rangers. That's right the Texas Rangers. They have spent over half of a billion dollars to this point in free agency. Nobody saw this coming. You were looking for teams that were on the edge of success to come in and spend a bunch of money and become good, become great. The Texas Rangers just came in and crashed the party. They spent over half of a billion dollars. It started with Marcus Simeon. Seven years, $175 million. This guy is, is 31 years old. Nobody, nobody thought he was signing a seven-year deal, but this kind of got the party going for the Rangers. You see, okay, seven years, over $100 million, $170-plus million. That takes him into his, his upper 30s. But what the Rangers have to do and had to do was spend a little more. Give guys a few extra years because they, they weren't winners. They were, they were last place team in the AOS for a while. So you bring in a guy that's been, to this point, look, when he came over, when he, when he had his year with the, the A's, he was an MVP candidate. He was in the top three of, of the MVP vote. Then he goes to Toronto where this year, if not for Vlad Jr., he's the, he's the guy talked about there. This guy, Marcus Simeon, is one of the most underrated players in all of Major League Baseball. So I was looking at a few places for him. I thought maybe he'd go to the Mariners. The Mariners are a good up-and-coming team. They look to be exciting in the future. He could go there. There were a few places. But he ends up signing with the Texas Rangers. They make a big splash to start free agency. And then you think, well, are they going for it? What are they going to do? You, you sign him for seven years, but you're still not going to be very good. Well, they made another splash. Corey Seager, 10 years, 10 years, $325 million. 
Are you kidding me? So well, there you have it. Their middle infield for at least seven years is wrapped up. Corey Seager, 10 years. Marcus Simeon, seven years. Like I said, the Rangers have spent over half a billion dollars to this point. $561 million so far has been wrapped up in free agency. $561 million. 10 of those years to Seager. So look, I talked about this a little while ago. When you're the Rangers, the Texas Rangers have been, and I don't, look, they've been the laughing stock of the AL West for a couple of years now. They move into a brand new stadium that is, from, from all accounts, it's one of the stadiums that I haven't been to. Hopefully I can cross that off soon. But from everything I've heard, it is special. It is absolutely incredible. So you move into this new stadium. You see the World Series hosted in the, in the COVID season at your home stadium, and, but you're nowhere in sight because you were the worst team in baseball. You see all these teams playing in your stadium, but you're not very good. So you have this new stadium, you have a fan base that wants to win, and now they're going for it. And I absolutely love to see it. I've seen so many people, fans, saying, well, why are they spending this money? They're not, I mean, okay, you're going to spend this to be not a very good team. Well, one, what better place to start than your middle infield? Two, I love to see it. I'm tired of seeing all the same teams going for it. You know, you get the, the big market teams, you get the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers. Those teams are always going to go for it. It's fun to see this. It's fun to see a team that hasn't been very good, that moved into a beautiful stadium, that wants to win, spending over half of a billion dollars to get there. So they do that. They solidify their middle infield, and then they go out and get a good pitcher on the market in John Gray. John Gray is, a, is also an underrated pitcher because, well, he's been in Colorado for a while, so I'm sure he's happy to get out of Colorado where the ball absolutely flies. But this is a big signing for them. This was, this was a big name. He obviously, he's not the top guy on the market. He, was no, he wasn't the Max Scherzers. He wasn't the Justin Verlanders. He wasn't any of those guys. But he was a good starter, and they had that. So let's look at what the Texas Rangers have done. When you want to totally rebuild a team, when you want to totally redeem yourself and start over, what do you do? Well, you start up the middle. That's where it begins. So what do they do? They add a pitcher, John Gray, a good pitcher to go in the rotation. You get your middle infield, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. You pay them half a billion dollars. And then you have Adolis Garcia out there in center field who, who was almost a rookie of the year this year. He looks to be a very promising young stud. He, he plays good defense. He's fast. He has a bunch of power. So they just absolutely revamped the middle of their field, and that's where you begin. And I love what they have done. I love what the Texas Rangers have done to this point in free agency. They're going for it. They're tired of being last place in the AL West. They're going to spend a bunch of money to do it. They're going to put fans in the seats in their new, beautiful stadium, and I'm excited to see how they do. But what I want to do is talk to somebody that, that covers the Texas Rangers, that knows everything about the Texas Rangers. I'm excited to bring him in. He's from the Dallas Morning News, Evan Grant. So let's welcome in Evan. Thank you so much for joining me. Man, the, the Texas Rangers, I, I never saw this coming. This offseason has been or all about them, in, in my opinion. This has been absolutely incredible what has been going on down there in Dallas. So thank you, first off, so much for joining me. But did, did you expect this? Did you see this coming this offseason? They were awful last year. Yeah, Ben, I, 
I think that the Rangers had made it very clear that they intended to invest significantly uh, in free agency this offseason. I don't know if I quite saw $561 million uh, <laughs> being committed with the possibility that they're going to spend more whenever we resume uh, transactions. Um, but this team intended to make an honest effort at getting better. They addressed a number of needs that they thought were uh, capable of being addressed this offseason. And I give them a lot of credit in that I thought it was possible that they'd go out and get one of the elite members of the shortstop class. I did not ever think that I'd, I'd look up and see them bringing home two of those guys. And it cost $500 million bucks. It's a lot of money. But they've got two icon kind of cornerstone, uh, the way Chris Woodward described them, pillar type of players for the for the future here. I mean, over half of a billion dollars. It's insane. And, and one of those guys that, you know, you just mentioned two guys up the middle, one of them being Corey Seager that I want to ask you about because I had heard for a, at least a couple years, and amongst the Dodgers, they believe this as well. When Corey Seager hit free agency, they thought he was going to the Texas Rangers. Why, why is that the case? Why was this, I don't want to say a foregone conclusion, but why did people just think, yeah, there's a good chance he ends up with the Rangers? Well, I, my guess on this is that, first of all, Chris Woodward and Corey Seager have a really strong relationship that goes back to their time with the Dodgers. Uh, Woodward has a really strong relationship with the Seager family in general, going back to the time he worked with Kyle Seager in, in the Mariners organization. Uh, and, and so there was a matchup there, and, and I think it was very clear that, that Chris Woodward had a real high regard for Corey Seager and thought he was the kind of guy that uh, dovetailed real well with the kind of culture the Rangers were putting together. I think also there was, there was a lot of thought that the Rangers were going to need infield help. Uh, and whether that was as a second baseman, shortstop, or third baseman, there was going to be a need there. Uh, and, and so that had that had simply been sitting out there on the horizon. I, I will say this, that when the Rangers went into free agency, I, I thought that there was a real good fit for Trevor Story, being that he's a hometown guy, that it would probably have been kind of a shorter-term deal. I thought that there was a real good fit for Carlos Correa because I, I, I think he's as good a shortstop as there is in the game. But very clearly, very clearly, Corey Seager was the guy in the Rangers' estimation that was going to be their number one target. Well, you mentioned his brother, Kyle. And, and let me say this. He's out there, Evan. He's out there in free agency. Is there a chance? Could we see the brothers united on the Rangers? I don't think that's a realistic possibility right now. I think that the Rangers are looking more... Um, as if toward a an outfielder at this point in time for their next edition. Um, they've got a guy in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa who would be a super utility guy if I that agree. is his, his ultimate role with the Rangers. But he also will go to camp as a candidate to play third base with Josh Young being the, the top prospect in the organization, getting a chance to compete for that job as well. So that, I think they're set in the infield right now, Ben. I think the bigger issue is what do they do to kind of complete the outfield? You've got Seiya Suzuki out there still in the posting period and able to negotiate with teams again once we get back to work. Uh, and you've got some guys like Kyle Schwarber that I think hold a lot of interest for the Rangers as well. So let me ask you this. Corey Seager, 10 years, 325. Marcus Simeon, who's, you know, an older guy, seven years, 175. Do you think they 
overpaid for these guys? And, and do you think they had to to get them there? I, I think we're only going to be able to tell if they overpaid for guys ultimately how, in, in how their contract pays out. But I think if you look at the market and look at what the projections were, certainly to get Simeon in the door, uh, everybody thought it was going to take five or six years on the open market. The Rangers went to seven. I think the AAV was right in line with what most people expected for Simeon. And so, yeah, I do look at it as, as kind of a tax or surcharge or penalty for being a losing team for the last five years and for losing 102 games. To get somebody to buy into the vision was not just going to take a really strong presentation, which I think the Rangers made to both guys. But I think it was also going to take backing it up with better than just fair market value. And, and in Simeon, they certainly did that. I think the projection that I had seen on MLB trade rumors was right in line with either 10 and 320 for Seager or 10 and 325. So they went right to the to to the height of what yeah. was the projected market. So we're locked out right now. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. Do you think they're done. Do you think when when do you think when we come back and transactions are back open and teams are signing people, do you think the Texas Rangers keep making moves? Yeah, I think they've got two two additional budgets. I think they've got a budget to continue to add, and then I think they've got a budget that also includes getting Clayton Kershaw if Clayton decides that he wants to come home and pitch for the Rangers. And and I think that they are separate things because I think the Rangers are still going to go out and add an outfielder and maybe another pitcher regardless of what Clayton decides to do. But I think once Clayton makes a decision, even if the Rangers are all full up, they'll find another whatever it takes, 20, 22 million to add Clayton Kershaw to the middle of that rotation. If he's willing to kind of say, I'm closing the chapter on, on this part of my Dodgers career, certainly he's always going to be a legacy figure in L.A. But if he decides that with a family now that's going to be four, he's, his, his wife is due with their fourth baby uh, anytime now, um, the kids older in school and the possibility that the Rangers are an organization on the rise, maybe it does make some sense for Clayton to come home and finish out his career in Texas, whether that's two years or four. Well, that was, that was going to be my, my next question was about Kershaw. How, how committed are they to getting Kershaw there? How, how likely is it to happen? And it seems like they're very committed. It seems like they have a budget specifically to get Clayton Kershaw to come home. And basically it's, it's your decision, Clayton, we, we want you here. We're going to give you this money. If you want to come home, we're glad to have you. I, yeah, I think you've got it summed up entirely correctly. And I, I think the Rangers also respect Clayton. And I think the Dodgers respect Clayton enough that both, both teams know he's going to make the decision that's right for him. There's no amount of recruiting or um, pressure that either side can put on him. This is a decision that's going to be best for Clayton Kershaw, Ellen Kershaw, their family, and to some degree, their foundation, because that that really is a, a major amount of work that they both put in. So ultimately, I think once the baby arrives, Clayton and Ellen will sit down and say, OK, what do we want to do for the long term? And if he wants to come to Texas, they're going to find a way to make that happen. And I think they should. I, I think he'd be an outstanding force uh, for the for the Rangers, younger pitchers to really learn from. And I think certainly if he's healthy, there's no doubt that Clayton is still a top-tier pitcher. Yeah. So for, for the last few years at this point, the Texas Rangers have not been very good. They've been almost the, the laughing stock of the AL West. And, and then they get this brand-new stadium that, by all accounts, I've heard is immaculate. It's impressive. It's incredible. Now they're making all these moves 
fans are going to be in the seats. These are the, the sexy moves, if you will, that they're getting done. But are, are they the right moves? Where, where will the Texas Rangers be this year? Are they good enough to compete when all is said and done and play ball is said in 2022? Will they compete to win the AOS title? Well, I think the other day when the Rangers introduced all four of those players, I said that as they sit right now, the Rangers are a significantly better team than they were in 2021, but the bar for that wasn't real high, right? They had won 60 games. They're a better team, though. Do I think they're a contender right now? I'm not going to put a ceiling on them and say they're not a contender, but I think they'd still have to have a lot of things go their way. Um, we, look at the, we, we look at the American League West right now, and look, I heard there, a source reported that the Astros are going to give $50 million to Justin Verlander. I don't know who that was, but you've got the Mariners have just added the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the American League. The, the Angels have added four pitchers and dropped $103 million to, to shore up a team that already has the best hitter um, and the best phenom in all of baseball. So I think the West is a really strong division is going to continue to be so for, for a long term. And the Rangers went into this thinking they were going to do as much as they could to make this team better, but also knew that this wasn't necessarily a one-year expense. They're going to probably have to add more money to the payroll after 2023 to continue to address some issues. But they've got a top-10 farm system right now. They're going to draft third overall next year. By the time we get to the trade deadline of next, of next year, you're going to be looking at a team with that's significantly better on the major league side and probably has a top five minor league system in all of baseball. So I think they're, what they're trying to say is we've got a financial engine with Globe Life Field in which they run uh, events out of there every week at this point in time. There are high school football games going on right now. There's concerts, everything. It's really become an economic engine. We've got that. We've got a minor league system that's on the rise and we've got the financial capability to add good faith effort to bettering the major league club. And so I think, yeah, I think you triangulate all of that. You don't say it's a one-year jump, but if you're waking, if you're willing to make a long-term effort, absolutely. This team could be uh, significantly improved for 2022. And I think the sky is really the limit going into 23. Yeah. Evan, I heard the the source on that Verlander deal is a, is a pretty good source. So I'm going to, I'm going to believe it. Uh, I, I, listen, I'm, Myself, I'm completely uh, willing to accept that sourcing on, on the Justin Verlander. Uh, hey, before I let you go, you just brought up Globe Life, and, and I, I've mentioned it a couple times in this show um, that I, I haven't been there, but I really want to get there. I've heard incredible things. From, from what you've seen uh, in terms of other stadiums you've been to, and obviously I'm, I know you've been to Globe Life, how, how incredible is it? I've heard amazing things. You know, one thing that really stuck out to me, and listen, $500 million is $500 million, and that's going to pay for a lot of players. But both <laughs> Simeon and Seeger made a point of talking about the facility. Um, and certainly Corey had a very nice little run there in 2020 when he hit eight home runs yeah. uh, between a series and, and the postseason. And I think the two things, Ben, that are really significant here are that place is really loud. There were a couple games this year against the Astros when the Rangers did have about 35,000 people in there, and they walked Houston off both times. And that place erupted, and it was as loud as any stadium I've ever been in. The second thing is that this is no longer going to be an absolute portal to hell for major league pitchers. Guys are going to come in here with a retractable roof. It's going to be comfortable for them to pitch. The stadium dimensions are more pitcher-friendly than the old ballpark. Yeah. 
And the problem that the Rangers always had in terms of luring pitchers to come to Texas, I think that's going to go away. So I think they've got assets in, in terms of how they're able to use it as a multi-use event and, and to add dollars to the bottom line. I think it's a better, more fair ballpark. And I think it's going to kind of eliminate that, uh, that stigma that it was a place that pitchers went to die. And I, I think those are all really beneficial elements for the Rangers. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining, man. I really appreciate it. I, I'm in awe of what the Rangers have been doing this offseason, and you've been, you've been right on top of it. So thank you for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. And come back anytime. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. See ya. All right, now let's head on over to second base and talk about another team making a big splash, the New York Mets. Now, I feel like we've heard this, this story before. Oh, the Mets are going for it. The Mets are going to try and be good. Look, they're making quite the splash so far this year. So look, let's start a little bit back. Let's take a step back. Steve Cohen has come in as the owner of this team and has been very transparent that he is going to spend a bunch of money and he wants to win. He, he wants to win. So they have a little bit of time where they appear to be good. And in this past season, they're in first place a lot, but they end up tanking and Javi Baez comes in, and, but he's okay. But the team started doing awful. It all fell apart and it was awful. Typical Mets. But this offseason isn't typical Mets. Max Scherzer, three years, $130 million. Over $40 million a year for Mad Max. This guy's older, obviously. He's towards the end of his career. But he has proven that he still has it. He's also a gamer, an absolute gamer. So this is obviously a huge pickup for them. For them. One of the, if not the biggest starting pitcher on the market, certainly one or two. I, I want to put my brother up there, even though he's coming off of TJ. But well, I, I digress. He's, he's one of the top free agent pickups as a pitcher you could have. Now, now what do we have? Now let's look at the Mets rotation. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer? One and two? Are you kidding me? So they pay him $130 million over three years. And I heard that Steve Cohen actually got on a Zoom call with Max Scherzer and said, look, I want to win. We're going to win. I'm going to do everything that we can do to win. And Scherzer talked about that. He said, look, you don't hear that often from owners these days. You don't hear that. For, you don't hear that we want to win and I'm willing to do anything and spend any amount of money to win ball games. You don't hear that from owners. Max Scherzer got that from Steve Cohen, who's on Twitter and very transparent about wanting to win. And he decided to sign there. We had all heard, well, he wants to be on the West Coast. He wants to be out there. No. Steve Cohen came in and said, look, I'll give you $130 million for three years. Come pitch for us. I mean, absolutely incredible. Look at these stats. Jacob, De I can't get over that Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are going to be in the same rotation together. I can't believe it. Since 2018, let's start with Scherzer, who just, got, who just now signed with the Mets. Let's start with him. Since 2018, 102 starts, 2.74 ERA, 871 strikeouts, and a 156 ERA+. plus. That's great. That's fantastic. Max Scherzer 
has been one of the best pitchers, a top three pitcher in the game over the last three years. You know who's been the best? Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. Win healthy at this point. It stinks that he hasn't been able to stay healthy over the last couple of years. But when he is pitching, you don't get this often. There's nobody better. When Jacob deGrom is out on the mound, there's not a pitcher in the world that's better. There's just not. Not right now. So since 2018, 91 starts from Jacob deGrom. A 1.94 ERA, 774 strikeouts, and a 205 ERA+. plus. It's, it's video game-like numbers. He was on pace this past season to have the greatest season for a pitcher of all time. Period. End of story. He unfortunately got hurt, but we all know how good Jacob deGrom is. Now you pair him with Max Scherzer in this rotation, there's not a better one-two punch in all of baseball. The New York Mets went out and signed Max Scherzer and immediately got themselves the best one-two punch in all of baseball on the mound. Period. End of story. But it didn't stop there. It actually didn't even start there. They started adding a bunch of pieces offensively. Mark Canna, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Let's start with Starling Marte. He's been brilliant, very, uh, in a very underrated way, honestly, because it, with the Marlins, then he goes out to the A's, but now he's going to be in New York on, on the biggest stage, the Big Apple. This is a big signing for them. This guy steals a bunch of bases. He plays good defense. He's great offensively. This is a great piece to add into your lineup to totally just say, you know what, I'm tired of not being good. I'm tired of blowing it. We need a guy that's not going to be inconsistent. That's what the Mets have been for so long, an inconsistent team. It looks like they could be good, but then they'll have a month where they go like 5-25, and 25 and you're like, okay, this is the typical Mets. This guy's not going to do that. Starling Marte is a stud. He's going to get on base. He's going to steal a bunch of bases. He's going to lead the league in stolen bases. That's what this guy can do. So they go out and sign him. And then they get Eduardo Escobar. Switch hitter. Great, great hitter. He's been out in Arizona for a while with the Diamondbacks. So he, they, they actually got a lot of guys, in my opinion. I'm going to name three guys, aside from Scherzer. Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, and Mark Canna. Every single one of those guys is a really good baseball player and very underrated. Coming from smaller markets, Starling Marte, the Marlins, and the A's. Eduardo Escobar coming from the the Diamondbacks. Mark Canna coming from the A's. Mark Canna signs with the Mets. He's a stud. I, I, I really like what this Mets team has done. I really do. I really do. You add, Ma- you add Max Scherzer. You add these three guys. Eduardo Escobar can play anywhere on the field. He's a switch hitter, and he rakes. The New York Mets are going for it. Steve Cohen has said since he took over this team, I want to win. He's got more money than pretty much anybody in the world. Now he owns a baseball team, and he's been very transparent about willing to spend his money because he wants to win. You see a lot of owners in Major League Baseball that are that treat this as a business. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's a business. Steve Cohen came in and said, I, I just want to win a World Series, and I want to do anything I, I can to make that happen. So he signs those three guys, Escobar, K, 
Canna, Marte, and then the big splash, the biggest free agent piece of them all, Max Scherzer. I love it. Can they win the NL East now? I don't know. The former World Series champs are going to have something to say about that. I don't know if it's going to happen, but something, somebody else that has something to say about it. I want to welcome in Doug Williams from SNY to talk a little bit about the Mets. So without further ado, let's talk to Doug Williams. Doug, first off, what the Mets have been doing so far in free agency is, is incredible. It's, it's been exciting to watch. It's been awesome. Talk a little bit about the, the pulse of Mets fans right now. How, how excited are they? I mean, the Max Scherzer signing puts them on the map like I don't know any other signing ever has. I mean, it, it feels like there's legitimacy right now in this franchise with the new ownership, with Steve Cohen and his – 14 bill net worth finally paying <laughs> off for Mets fans. And look like we're an offseason removed from Francisco Lindor signing for $340 million. So it's not like he hadn't spent yet, but this felt like you wanted the guy, you got the guy. They have the ability now to be the biggest spenders in the league. And I think that's so refreshing for Mets fans. And like, they just took care of business. I mean, Starling Marte and they like they had needs. They went, and fixed them and, and filled them. And I think that's pretty awesome for Mets fans who've been waiting so long, watching the Yankees do whatever they wanted to do, be the big spenders across the league, across town. And now for them to be in that position, Mets fans are pumped, man. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, especially with the Mets, it seems like, oh, this is the player we want, and then they never get it. And they never get him, and then they mm -hmm. end up getting like a, you know, half, half as good of that player would ever be. But, but look, I want to talk about Scherzer. Three years. 130 million, a bunch of money. Nobody thought he was going to the East Coast. Nobody thought he was going to the Mets. It always, from everything I had heard and everybody else heard, he wants to be on the West Coast. And then that changed. He signs with the Mets. So what I want to ask you about, and I don't know if you know any more about this than I do, but I've heard a lot about the Zoom call. Probably not. With Steve Cohen. That Zoom call, I've heard a lot about it. How much of a factor do you think that was in, in Max becoming a New York Met? I think Steve Cohen's a huge factor. Um, and look, you could be cynical about it and say, yeah, he's a huge factor that with that, you know, checkbook, he is always going to be a huge factor. But <laughs> here's what I would say. I feel like I'm a little bit addicted to New York city. I love New York city. It's where I call home, but I, I'm shocked that anyone would choose playing in New York over other markets sometimes. Like, I mean, I cover sports here. I know what it's like to deal with the media here. And if I were a professional athlete looking at a beach house in La Jolla or something, I'd probably choose a market with a little bit less pressure. That's just me. If the money's the same, I, I choose somewhere where I can, you know, uh, whether I win or lose, I'm not going to be necessarily crucified if I lose. And as long as the effort's there, the fan base is going to be okay with it. And I think New Yorkers have that sense in them. They're like, wow, well, he's going to have to really take a risk to come to New York, right? Like, it's not easy to play here. We're not easy as a fan base. We're passionate. And so for Max Scherzer to choose to come here after a year where the Mets clubhouse was so against the media and at times against their own fan base, I think shows a, a switch here, especially in that clubhouse. And I think we're going to have a very different looking Mets team next year than we did this year. Um, and I think Steve Cohen's a huge part of that. He wanted to change the face of the franchise. He wanted to defy the odds, bring a superstar player to New York. And look, I'm sure you agree with this, Ben. I mean, obviously, 
no starting pitcher signing is risk-free. I mean, I can't like right. Max Scherzer's last contract with the nationals is probably the best contract he'll ever sign. And the best team friendly contract, even though it was long and expensive, he's 37 years old. He's had some injuries. He finished last season with dead arm. It's not risk-free, but it's almost about what it means. The fact that he yeah. was talked into this, maybe by the owner that yeah. makes this even bigger than just a player signing a contract. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It's not it, no signing like this. No signing is ever risk-free and obviously he's older, but look, this, I, I totally agree with what you just said. It, it's, it's exciting. It's about more than just signing that player. It's about having this owner that, that comes in and says he's going to take over the world and wants the Mets to win and then making a signing that everybody wants. Uh, which is, it's pretty cool to see from, from an outsider's perspective. And then, you know, not only the Scherzer signing, you have Marte, you have Canna, you have Escobar. Do you think, because one, we've never seen an owner like, like Steve Cohen. The, the age of social media, we haven't ever seen an owner that gets on it and is very outspoken with the fans about his team and all that stuff. And, and sometimes I've loved it and there's been times where I've hated it. Um, but I, I do think the transparency behind it all is pretty cool. Do you think it kind of lit a fire under his butt when Steven Mass decided to sign elsewhere and he went public and was like, well, we thought we were going to get him. How dare he? Like, that was pretty messed up. And then the next few days was just like a fight. Like, he just fired off checks to people and, and had them all coming. Do you think that lit a fire under him? I mean, Mets fans have never been so grateful for Steven Matz. I mean, nothing against Steven Matz. He <laughs> had a solid beginning to his career in a Met uniform. But who would have thought that it would be Steven Matz and his agent that would light the fire. I mean, I'm drawing the same conclusion that you are, Ben. Like, that happens. Steve Cohen gets angry. He gets so angry that he tweets, which we all know just as human beings is not a good idea. He throws it out there in the universe. And instead of just being angry about it and being upset, he goes out there and, and not only signs four good players, but four guys whose reputations as clubhouse guys uh, precede them in a way that uh, is so important specifically for the team that Cohen is trying to build, which is in many ways the opposite of last year, to be totally honest. I mean, there was a, a fundamental problem within that group that was like, it's us against the world. Everyone else is negative about us. Everyone else is negative about the way we're playing. We're going to be optimistic and everyone else is the enemy, right? And it turned out that their play was lackluster. They didn't make the playoffs. There was no reason to be optimistic all along. And the fan base just didn't get it. And now, after Steven Matz snubs the Mets or whatever it was that he did and <laughs> signs with the St. Louis Cardinals, it sets off their owner, Steve Cohen. It feels so Steinbrennerian, if that's it's not a word. I can I'll guarantee it. you it's not, but you know what I mean. Um, that something so small would set him off. And when you're a fan of a team with that type of owner, you just sit back and like you have a good time. It's funny because he has so much money. I mean, he is so wealthy and he's new in the baseball space. So th this stuff happens all the time, like what happened with Steven Matz, literally all the time. But because Cohen is the way he is and has so much money, this probably is his first experience of saying to somebody, hey, I'll give you a lot of money. Here it is. And then somebody just not even responding and being like, dude, I'm, I'm going to go sign over here. And then he's probably like, how dare this happen? Watch, watch what I'm about to do, which is absolutely incredible. But aren't you surprised, Ben? Like, if you were worth as much money 
as Steve Cohen is. I'm just guessing you're not. I'm not. Um, <laughs> wouldn't you have let? Wouldn't you have thicker skin? Don't you like? I'm shocked sometimes that he tweets the things he tweets and gets upset about the way fans are reacting to certain things or the way writers are are writing certain things. If I were worth 14 billion, I, I think I would see past that things and those things. And I'm fascinated that. He's kind of just like us. He's just worth more. He gets rattled <laughs> by the exact same things that human beings do, even though he's worth more than I could ever imagine. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Doug, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do these Do moves it. make the New York Mets the best team in the city of New York? Yes, I, I, I think so. I mean, I there's no way... Keep in mind the timing of when... Ben is asking me this question, people. Okay. The Yankees <laughs> only offseason signing was a lefty reliever, Jolie Rodriguez, for $2 million. They're getting crushed in this town. The Mets just went out and signed the four players that we're talking about. They've got Lindor and Scherzer on the payroll. I know the Yankees just made the playoffs and the Mets didn't. So technically, the Yankees are coming from a better place than the Mets are. But it's hard not to get swept up in the way this feels right now which is that the Mets have the back page. Uh, the Mets are going like this. The Yankees, I mean, it's flat, if not maybe descending. And that's fascinating because the Yankees seem to get so close every year, have not been able to get over the hump. And Yankees fans are just like, what What are you doing, Brian Cashman, Hal Steinbrenner? What, what are we sitting on? What are we waiting right. for? Carlos Correa is out there, and that's the last guy the Yankees fans are kind of clamoring for. It was Corey Seager, now it's Carlos Correa. But as of right now, I would tell you the Mets have a more well-rounded roster, and what I really mean by that is they've got DeGrom and Scherzer at the top, which is so scary for any other team in the National League. And the I, I still think the Mets have work to do, too, and I think they will do that. I think Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil might get moved, uh, and I think they're going to – build the back end of their rotation, I, I think the roster is going to look so different next year. Yeah, well, that was that was going to be my next question to you. Are, are, the Mets, are the Mets done? I know we're in a lockout right now. Nothing's going to happen until that's done. But when, when the lockout is gone, when we're back to signing players, and, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later, I have to imagine Steve Cohen's not going to stand pat and say we're good to go. I feel like he's going to go get something else, right? Yeah, I think middle of the rotation, they don't, they still don't have a lot of sure things. Uh, Taiwan Walker is in there with Scherzer and DeGrom, who, by the way, is coming off a, an injury plague season with an issue with his forearm and elbow. So that's, I guess, a question mark, too. But they're, you know, Carlos Carrasco is coming back from injury. Uh, David Peterson's coming back from injury. Tyler McGill was impressive at times last year. You're trying to figure out a rotation there. That's what makes me think, you know, three or four type guy. Steve Cohen will still add to the rotation. The bullpen is pretty solid. They've got some good arms out there. They'll make one or two additions. And then, like I said earlier, there's this, there's been this kind of lack of a core that we keep calling a core with the Mets for a long time because it was, you know, Conforto, Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo, Don Smith. And we thought after the way the season ended in 2019 which was full of optimism, even though they didn't make the playoffs, that the Mets were destined to be a playoff team for years to come with this group of young players. Didn't turn out that way. COVID season in 2020, no postseason. 2021, they missed the postseason again. And now it feels like that phase is over. So does Dom Smith get moved? 
I don't think so because a DH is coming and Pete Alonso will be your DH dom and be at first base. I think Jeff McNeil may very well get moved. I, I, I don't know if the Mets, they moved on from Chili Davis as a hitting coach, and I don't think that jived with, with Jeff, Jeff McNeil and the way he thinks about right. hitting. It, it, he may just need to change the scenery just like Steven Matz did. So maybe one day he'll end up making the owner mad again, just like Matz <laughs> did, and uh, the Mets will sign somebody to 400 mil. You know, it's funny. I was I was leading up to me talking to you. I was looking at this Mets team and all the moves they've done and all that stuff. And then it's easy to forget. I, I feel like they're getting a, a, a whole new player in Francisco Lindor next year because I, I almost like wash out what we saw from him last year. You know, we know he's a better player than that. He got off to such a bad start um, and then honestly started to turn it around a little bit um, which and, and get comfortable in a city that he, he hadn't obviously played in before. I feel like he's going to be the, the Francisco Lindor that we all remember. And it's almost like people just forget, oh, yeah, Francisco Lindor is on that team, and he's pretty good too. So I'm excited to watch him. Do you, do you think we get a bounce back from him? Yeah, it was funny. I said that earlier. I was like, well, this team already has Lindor. And I realized as I was saying it, you know, a lot of Mets fans still don't see that as a good thing, even though he's <laughs> making all this money, even though he had all this success in Cleveland. Uh, I think you will get a bounce back. I think it was really hard on him in year one. Uh, yeah. I think he would tell you uh, and, and has been honest about it. There were issues. There were issues with the fan base. There was an altercation with Jeff McNeil in the tunnel that, you know, he ended up saying was a, a rat or a raccoon conversation. And that <laughs> yeah. exploded because Mets fans and Twitter and reporters and everything, it, it just turned into something that it really didn't need to be. Um, and I think that kind of spiraled until second half numbers improved. Javi Baez became a Met. And that's a big part of the reason Mets fans wanted to bring him back was because when Baez became a Met, it helped Lindor who's yeah. his best friend and Baez obviously not staying going to Detroit. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, uh, Mets fans were crediting his August and September uh, they were crediting it to Baez and not Lindor. And I think, you know, that might not be fair. I think Lindor figured some things out, got comfortable. And look, if any of us got that type of payday, it comes with pressure. It comes with an adjustment in life. You're going to a new place, new team, new hitting coach, new manager. And it's not a guarantee in life that every year is going to be the same. I think the real guy will, he'll, he'll show up. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, like you said, it's not a guarantee. We talked about it with Scherzer. What I do know is a guarantee, at least in my opinion, and I'm assuming in yours as well, the New York Mets have the best one-two punch in all of baseball at the top of the rotation. In my opinion, that's not there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's Max Scherzer, or it's Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, best one-two punch in baseball. I think it's interesting, the little slip there, Ben, because you put deGrom above Scherzer, I did. which I agree with. Because I think, you know, he's the guy, he's the hometown guy, he's the best pitcher in the world. But, you know, I mean, Max Scherzer's a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers in baseball. What I keep picturing is not even like games one and two of a DS or a CS. I keep thinking about like a game seven um, where one of them is, is on normal rest and the other's on like two and comes in in inning five or six and it's just the two of them that is what Mets fans are thinking about that we as a team uh like our team 
can put anybody away with these two guys at the top of the rotation. So, I mean, the expectations should be sky high because even after a postseason where we saw a lot of starting pitchers get, uh, you know, removed after two or three innings that were pitching well, that seems like the state of the, the game. Even with that, starting pitching is still valued. I mean, look how much money they're paying Max Scherzer. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm excited. to. Watch. I'm really excited to watch them. I'm not even, you know, I'm just a fan of the game. And naturally, I'm excited to watch the Mets this year. What Steve Cohen has done there, whether you like his presence on Twitter or not, is absolutely incredible. So, uh, Doug, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for talking some mess with me. And, and come back on anytime. Ben, of course, man. Big fan of the pod. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy. See ya. All right, now let's head on over to third base and talk about the Detroit Tigers. Look, I love the Detroit Tigers. I talk a lot about the Detroit Tigers, that this organization is very near and dear to my heart. I played there for five years. My brother played there for what seems like a million years. So I talk about them a lot. I have a lot of friends in this organization, and I often say how the Detroit Tigers are getting there. They're getting close. The winning days are coming back in Detroit They showed it when they got A.J. Hench. He comes in, and with a team that wasn't supposed to win, they have a pretty good year. So this offseason, what are they going to do? It's time to win. You have the young pitching staff. You have the hitters coming. What are you going to do? Well, to be honest with you, I like what they've done so far. Eduardo Rodriguez, pitcher, comes over from the Boston Red Sox, a five-year deal for $77 million with an opt-out in there. But this rotation is good. This rotation is very young. You have guys like Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning, Spencer Turnbull. These guys have been the future, and we've heard a lot about them, and they've proven, okay, yeah, you know what? They're actually pretty good. We've heard a lot about them, but they are going to be good. And we've gotten to see it now at the big league level. So what better to do than to bring in a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez from the Sox that has just been really good, consistent, Really good. Look at this tweet from the Detroit Tigers. Erod brings some impressive numbers with him. And honestly, he does. His 2021 season was awesome. 10 point, over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Since 2018, Rodriguez has a .703 win percentage. That's fourth best amongst all Major League Baseball pitchers. Great pickup. Fantastic pickup. So they've shown, okay, you know what? Everybody was thinking, what are they going to do this offseason? What are they going to do? They're ready. They're close. Ben Verlander keeps saying the future is bright. They're really close. Are they going to do anything? Well, yeah, they do. They signed this guy. Great piece to add into that inexperienced rotation. Inexperienced but electric and really exciting rotation. And he has that experience. He has that postseason experience. We saw it this year. He pitched great against the Astros. He, He pitched great in the postseason. He's really good. So you get to add him into that rotation that's really young and, and bring in some experience. But then the, then the talk shifts to what are their other needs? Well, shortstop. A.J. Hinch comes over from the Houston Astros. Carlos Correa is a huge free agent. He's the biggest free agent shortstop on the market. Are they going to sign Carlos Correa? All the fans wanted it. Give him 10 years and a billion dollars. That's what we want. Give him a billion dollars. Pair him with A.J. Hinch. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't. They signed Javi Baez. Javi Baez, six years, $140 million. The second it happened, 
people weren't too thrilled. Why? Well, honestly, the only reason why is because everybody had it in their minds that Carlos Correa was going to the Tigers. Well, it didn't happen. And for about half the price that Correa is going to get, or should get at least, you get a guy like Javi Baez. Six years, $140 million. I like it. And I want to... I want to explain why I like this. So six years, $140 million is probably half of what you're going to have to pay to get a Carlos Correa. Javi Baez is a very good player. Defensively, he's a magician, an absolute magician with the leather, with the glove at shortstop. But look, I, I know the numbers have said over the couple of years that he strikes out a lot. But he went to New York, he went to the Mets to end last season, and really changed his approach. And he talked about it. He said, yeah, I, I had an, a, an, a different approach. I changed my approach. He cut down his strikeout percentage by 10%. He hit just under 300. The power was there. If the Detroit Tigers get from Javi Baez what Javi Baez gave the Mets, this deal is a steal. Now, if you get... 2021 Chicago Cubs Javi Baez, well, then it's not a great deal. So what they did with this offer, with this contract, it's right in the middle. If you bring up good old baseball reference and look at his number with numbers with the Cubs and look at his numbers with the Mets, this deal is paying him right in the middle. Right in the middle of those numbers. So if you get what, what he did with the Mets where he said, yeah, I had a, a, a change of approach, I felt really good at the plate, you're, you're getting a steal. But now let's look at why I think this is important, because you can take all that money that, that, you, that you were going to give to Correa, or we don't know if they were ever going to give it to him, but that the fans wanted to give to Correa, and look elsewhere and add another pitcher, add some relievers, add an outfielder, something, anything. I just know that money's sitting there ready to spend. So do I think Carlos Correa is worth the money? I, I, I absolutely do. I wholeheartedly believe that Carlos Correa is worth all of the money he's going to get. Does that mean that I don't think this deal is a good one? No, I think this is a great deal. Let's look at, let's look at Javi Baez's numbers. Over his eight major league seasons, he's hit 149 homers, 160 doubles, and 465 RBIs. He finished the 2021 season as one of four players with at least 31 home runs, 87 RBIs, and 18 stolen bases. Look, I know everybody in Detroit wanted Carlos Correa, but I promise you, to everyone in Detroit, I promise you, you are going to love Javi Baez. He's fun, he's electric, he plays great defense, he does incredible things on the bases, he runs the bases hard. Remember that play he had earlier this year against the, the Pirates when he was still with the Cubs, the, the, the rundown in between home plate and first base? He's just exciting, he's electric, he's going to hit the ball out of the yard, and he's proven that his new approach works. So hopefully he carries that over. But why I love this deal is because you can take that money and put it elsewhere. You're not putting all your eggs in one basket, in the Carlos Correa basket, which I think, look, I said, it, I said it, I'll say it again. I think he's worth all that money. But they decided to go a different route. 
and now they have all this money to spend elsewhere. I love it. So the Detroit Tigers thus far, prior to the lockdown, to the lockout, have gotten Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez. And I love it. This team is close. I talk about it all the time. The future of the Detroit Tigers is so bright. That rotation, I talked about it at the, before this past season even started. I said the, the future of this rotation is really good. And then what do you get? You get guys like Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal to, to prove, you know what? These guys are going to be great. They proved it. They're great. Then I continued to say the future of this offense is really, really bright. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, absolute studs. All-star caliber talent coming up, I believe, to this team. I talked to A.J. Hinch earlier. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go back a few episodes and listen to A.J. Hinch talk about the Detroit Tigers. It was pretty cool hearing him and how he believes the future is shaping up for this team. And obviously a huge part of that is this rotation they have. Now add Eduardo Rodriguez and then the offense about to add Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. He believes in this future of the team. I believe in the future of the Detroit Tigers. And the city of Detroit should believe in the future of the Detroit Tigers. And they're off to a great start this far in, in free agency. But now the lockout. And this brings me to my final point. Round and third and heading home. Major League Baseball is locked out. For the first time since the 1994-1995 strike, there has been a stoppage in Major League Baseball. Now, what does this mean? Well, we're in a lockout. It's not a strike. It's not a strike at all. A lockout is basically the owners saying, hey, you can't work for us. You can't come to work. We're locked out. A strike is the players saying, we're not going to work for you. We're not there yet. We're not there at all. And hopefully we don't ever get there. We're in a lockout. The point of this lockout is, okay, you know what? Let's just expedite this process. We're going to lock out. Nothing's going to happen. The sole goal here is to get an agreement, a new CBA agreement. So the collective bargaining agreement expired. It expired on November 31st. That's why we're here. The previous agreement expired. The two sides are very far apart. So you know what? We, di we didn't come to a deal in time. And we also know we're far apart. So you know what? We're going to lock out. And our sole goal is going to be coming to a new agreement. And that's where we are. We all knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. The players knew it. The owners knew it. We were so far apart. And we saw it before the COVID season began, when the two sides just couldn't come to an agreement. We, the writing was on the wall for this to happen. So honestly, a lockout at this point in the offseason is, is best case scenario. For and Aside from coming to a deal, look, let's sit down in a room, hash it out. We're going to shut down all activity, and we're going to come to a deal. That's what's happening here. Let's talk about why the two sides can't agree. Let's talk about why we are here. Well, from the player's perspective, there's a lot of talking points. There's, there's a lot of things they want to change. One of them being the money, a couple of different money issues. One of them being tanking. There's a couple of issues they want. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the money perspective. Let's talk about this from the money side. 
So the last agreement came uh, quite a few years ago. Since there hasn't been a new agreement in, I, I believe, 2017. So since 2017, the average Major League Baseball salary has dropped. Contrary to popular belief, contrary to inflation in the world, whatever you want to say about the average salary, well, in Major League Baseball, it's dropped. In 2017, it was 4.1 million. Now, it's probably going to be right about 3.7 million. Now, look, I understand. We're talking about millions of dollars here. Look, I, I get the whole perspective of what are they complaining for? They're, they're millionaires. Well, are they? Let me, let me say this. There's 1,955 players that have signed a Major League Baseball contract this year. Of those 1,955, only 40 of those earn $20 million or more. 71% of Major League Baseball players make less than a million dollars. 71% make less than a million dollars. So, first and foremost, when we start talking about baseball players, about Major League Baseball players, let's stop calling them millionaires because 71% of them aren't. So, why does this matter? Why is this a big deal? What, like, we're, we're talking about a lot of money here. Well, let me tell you why the money matters. Tanking is a big part of this, of, of, is a big part of baseball these days. Now, not, you know, obvious, oh, they're losing on purpose. It, it stems from the money. The average salary has dropped, but the top contracts have absolutely ballooned. Let's look at some of the contracts we've talked about already on this show. Max Scherzer, $130 million. Corey Seager, are you kidding me? Corey Seager, over $500 million, or over $300 million. I mean, those top-tier contracts have just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But what isn't is those middle-tier, those middle-tier contracts. We're not getting those. So this is the issue. You have teams that have, there's no repercussion for losing. Not only is there no repercussion for losing, you're honestly kind of rewarded for it. Oh, wait, you're telling me that I can get rid of my good guys. I cannot pay anybody anything. I can pay a bunch of guys big league minimum. And then, and then on top of that, okay, we're not, we don't have great guys on the team. We're not going to be very good. And then when we're not very good, we're going to get a good draft pick? Sign me up. That sounds great. Well, that's what we have. We have, we have a few teams that come into the year that legitimately have a chance to win the World Series. I don't know exactly what the number is. It's probably closer to, to, to five. But let's say there's 10 teams that realistically have a chance and believe they can win the World Series. That leaves a bunch of other teams. That leaves 20 teams that are saying, okay, well, we'll give this a shot, but if not, we're gonna, you know, we'll trade away all of our good pieces and then we'll finish out the year with a bunch of guys. We don't have to pay anything. We can pay them, we can pay them $600,000 and then get a better draft pick. That's what we're seeing. 
we're seeing a bunch of teams that not only are not trying to win, they're rewarded for not winning. Their owner, the owners, rake in a bunch of money. They're not paying anybody $100 million. They rake in a bunch of that money. And then they start losing, and then they get a good draft pick, and then you get a great player. So, so what, the, what they want, as in the players want, in this new CBA agreement that hopefully we come to in the coming weeks, in the coming weeks would be great, but hopefully prior to spring training, is repercussions for losing. You should be punished for losing year in and year out. Give a team a realistic window to rebuild, but punish them for losing year in and year out, over and over and over. Punish the Pittsburgh Pirates who have shown they don't want to win. They're just fine. They're just fine. You know what? We have a good player coming up. We drafted a good player because we've been bad for so many years. We get a good draft pick. We get a good player. And look, he's at the big leagues, and he's going to be good. Let's trade him away. Because why not? They're raking in the money. They're not paying anybody. And then they get a good draft pick and repeat it. Well, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing that. I want to see bad teams punished. I want to see more teams trying to win. I want to see a more level playing field. And that's what the players want. So that's another talking point in this new CBA agreement. Let's talk about this from the owner's side. What do the owners want? Well, the owners want expanded playoffs. The owners want from, from 10 to 14 teams in the playoffs. I totally understand it. I get it. What does more playoff games mean? More money. More money. That's great. I, I absolutely understand that for, from their side. So if there's more playoff teams, let's say it is expanded to 14 like they want. They get 100% of the TV revenue. That's what they want. That's obviously, they, they, want them, they want more money in their pocket. Everybody can understand that. And I don't blame them one bit. So in exchange for that, they're willing to give up one less, less regular season games. They've offered less regular season games, and they've offered, offered a universal DH. Well, the players are saying, okay, you're, you want more playoffs, but you're only giving us this. That doesn't really line up. We're giving up. We're giving you way more. You're getting 100% of playoff revenue. But I get it from both sides there. I really do. But these are the core issues. The core issues are tanking. The core issues are money. The core issues are players wanting free agency to come earlier, which I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Free agency, it takes six years to get to at this point. I don't know if that actually helps the issue of, of smaller market teams losing their best players. That probably, I don't, I don't know if we see that. That would honestly hurt that. What players also want to see, though, is players getting to arbitration earlier. Young players, young studs getting paid their money earlier. We're seeing a lot of young guys come up these days. Juan Soto, Vlad Jr., Fernando Tatis. They're coming up as almost teenagers. Wander Franco is a teenager. But we're seeing those guys sign, sign deal, long-term deals earlier. But 
what honestly it takes six years to get to free agency so players want that to change I, I don't know if that changes but as you can see from everything that I have talked about there's a lot of issues here there's a lot to be talked about and that's why we're locked out because the owners this this most recent CBA agreement the one that just expired on November 31st 30 days has September, April, June, and November. There's only 30 days in November. So on November 30th, we locked out because the previous CBA ended. That CBA agreement was very owner-friendly. Very owner-friendly. They don't want much to change. So if, if, if you were to say, yeah, let's just continue the way we're doing it, the owners would be totally fine with that. The players are the ones that aren't fine with this. And we need to stop anybody that's vilifying players for saying, well, you're making millions of dollars. Well, I think I've proven today that that's not true. Players aren't making millions of dollars. 71% of players aren't even making a million dollars. So we're fighting, as in we, the players are fighting for those guys making big league minimum. That's what they're fighting for. The owners want everything to stay the same, and they want expanded playoffs, which I totally understand. I totally get it. The owners are running a business. They have a business to run. The players are the ones playing this game. So you have these two sides, the owners that have a business to run and the players that want to play and just make their money and, and, and be as best they can be on the field. So it's their job, Rob Manfred, Tony Clark, to get into a room together and say, how can we get as close as possible? I know we're not gonna get everything we want. You need to know you're not gonna get everything you want. Let's come together and figure it out as best we can. And I'm hopeful that that happens soon. A lockout isn't a bad thing. The majority of lockouts don't lead to a strike. A lockout leads to two teams, or as in two teams, as in the ownership groups, and the players union getting into a room and saying, let's figure this out. The common goal here is to play baseball and come time for spring training for everybody to be back out on the field. I believe that's going to happen. I think everybody at home shouldn't worry about a strike. That's what these two teams are, these two sides are doing. They want to figure it out. I'm hopeful they figure it out and so are they, but they do have a lot of issues to get to. They do have a lot of things to figure out. And hopefully over the coming weeks. Also, this is the first time that we've seen, this isn't, this isn't even close to the first time there's been a Major League Baseball stoppage. This is the ninth time in history. But this is the first time in the age of social media that we've seen it. So we're seeing all of this play out in front of our eyes. Right in front of us. We saw it right before the COVID season happened. We see everything. It's fascinating. It really is. We're getting to see the, the guts of, of, of the, in and, the ins and outs of what's going on in these rooms. But I think what we all need is for them to just come together and get in a room and figure it out. And that's where we are. We're at a lockout, and they're going to get in the room, and they're going to figure it out. And there's going to be baseball in 2022. Just remember that. The majority of lockouts do not lead to a strike. This is a lockout. It was strategically done at this time in the offseason where you have the least amount of things to lose. Remember this. When all seems worrisome, remember this. Both sides have too much to lose 
to not play in 2022. All right, and now shifting gears back over to free agency. I got a list for you, the top five free agencies so far. So I'm gonna list the top five teams that have had the best free agencies, in my opinion. And also there's still a lot of free agents out there. So I'm gonna predict where they're gonna go and we'll see how that shapes up. But to start off, I'm bringing my producer Conrad back out here and we're gonna talk about who's had the best free agency so far, Conrad. So come on out. All right, Ben, starting at number five, we had the Los Angeles Angels. You know what the Angels have done that I've loved? They've gone pitching, 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 and pitching. And I love it. It's exactly what they've needed. Rysel Iglesias is, a, is an elite closer in this game. Aaron Loop had a fantastic year last year. Michael Lorenzen, another two-way player. He's not, he's not my friend Shohei, but he is a two-way player. But he, he's going to be a great bullpen arm for them. And then Thor, Noah Syndergaard in the rotation. They gambled on him. They gambled on him and, and gave him a, a good offer when he hasn't pitched a lot lately. He's been hurt. But when healthy, he's electric. So the Angels have gone all pitching, and it's exactly what they needed. I like what they've done to this point, and I think they're going to do something after the lockout as well. Love to see it. Coming at number four, those Detroit Tigers. Yep. I, I love me some Tigers. I, I love the addition of Javi Baez because of what it allows them to do moving forward. This team isn't complete yet. They're not complete with Javi Baez, and they wouldn't have been complete with Carlos Correa. So signing Javi Baez and having a lot of money to still go out and get guys, but while also getting an elite shortstop in the game who's going to play great defense, he's going to hit the ball out of the yard, and he's going to be really exciting to watch, as well as Eduardo Rodriguez to add into that rotation that is, is younger but going to be really good to add him into that rotation. I like where the Tigers are this offseason. I like what they've done so far. I as well don't think they're done either. But, but what they have done paired with a really young and exciting team. Number four. Do you think the Tigers fans should be happy they got Javi Baez over Carlos Correa not having to pay almost double for the same position? Yes. Look, Carlos Correa is going to be worth every single dollar that he gets. He is that good, and he just changes teams. He's an absolute assassin. He's really good. He's, he's clutch. Everything you can imagine, that is Carlos Correa. It was talked about that he could go to the Tigers, but he didn't. Tigers fans should not be upset by not getting him. Would he have been worth it? Yes. Do they, are they just as well off, perhaps even better, getting a Javi Baez where they spend half of the money but can still go get other pieces? I think that is so important to them. Tigers fans were frustrated when they didn't land Correa. The writing was on the wall. A.J. Hinch is back in Detroit. Carlos Correa is a free agent. This is going to be perfect, and it would have been a great fit, and he is worth every penny. But this just allows them to go out and get even better add some pitching, add an outfielder. And I think they're going to do that. I think we're going to see them do that. So I do. I like the signing. I like the signing a lot. Got it. Come in number three, Seattle Mariners. One, they added the reigning Cy Young, AL Cy Young Award winner, friend of the pod, Robbie Ray. Of course. Um, and and this, was, this was via a trade technically, but Adam Frazier is a good pickup as well. Um, he was leading the NL in hits when he got when he got moved to the Padres. wasn't great there, but but Adam Frazier absolutely rakes. So the the two the the new additions to the Mariners and one Robbie Ray, you lock him up for five years, which is big for my prediction, Conrad. And you'll like this, my prediction of 2025 World Series champion Seattle Mariners. I know you're a Mariners fan. What do you think of my prediction? Ben, you could tell me playoffs in 2025, and I'd be excited. <laughs> 
Just give me to the playoffs, man. So, yeah, I, I think ha- adding a guy like that for five years. he Look, he figured something out. He's been a really – he's been electric, but he never been great. There's a big difference between being an electric pitcher and showing you have this stuff and actually proving that you're an elite pitcher in the game. And this past season with the Blue Jays, he proved he's an elite pitcher in the game. He came on my show and talked about it. He talked about what he'd changed. He talked about the, the mental and physical changes he's made, and it paid off. He was the AL Cy Young Award winner, and the Mariners add him right at the top of that rotation on top of a team that was already really exciting, already really fun, the fun differential. They're a good team. They're close. I don't think next year's the year, but they're getting close, and that's why they're my prediction for 2025. But we won't get there. You know my long-term predictions are better than short-term, by the way. I feel good about that. Absolutely, I know that. <laughs> All right, coming number two, we have the New York Mets. Uh, yeah, this one. You add Max Scherzer. You add Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, like Doug Williams just talked about. Steve Cohen had a, a fire lit underneath him. When Steven Matz, of all people, decided to, to, wrong, to wrong Steve Cohen, how dare you sign with another team? How dare you don't take my money? He signed elsewhere, and he just used that as like a as a springboard to go open up the checkbook and just write a bunch of blank checks to people. If you're a Mets fan, how can you not love that, though? I'm not even a Mets fan, and I love it. Look, you, and this is, Doug said this as well. Is how often, especially as, the, as a Mets fan, do you get that top-tier free agent that you really want and actually get him? They got Max Scherzer. They got him for three years, and now you get to pair him with Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in baseball? Unbelievable. Ooh. Number two. New best team in New York. Heard it here first. Coming at number one, Texas Rangers. Over half of a billion dollars has been spent by the Texas Rangers this offseason. Half of a billion dollars with a B. That's remarkable. Corey Seager wrapped up for 10 years. Marcus Simeon for seven. These are long, these are long, long deals. But but do you have to do do you I feel like they had to do that to get these guys in. The Rangers haven't been good. Plain and simple. They've been really bad. They've been at the bottom of the AL West. But they changed it around. They, they knew a change needed to be made, and they went out, and they got guys. I absolutely love to see it. Did, are these deals, are they overpaid technically? The, the years are long. But we don't know yet if they're overpaid. But they had to do it. Somebody had to sign there to start turning it around. Marcus Simeon was that guy, and he wasn't going to get seven years anywhere else. He just wasn't. Seven years is the most Marcus Simeon was going to get. You bring him in, it leads to Corey Seager. It reminds me of the Tigers back in the day when Yvonne Rodriguez, who came on this show and talked about why he signed with the Tigers a year after they were terrible, And it was because he believed in the future. He was that first piece that fell into place in the organization. And then others started following and following suit. And now we see that with the Rangers. Marcus Simeon starts it. Then Corey Seager comes in. John Gray comes in. Are they going to get Clayton Kershaw? Time will tell. And, And I'll predict, I'll go through my free agent predictions in just a few minutes. But they're proving right now that they're going for it. Not only by spending over half of a billion dollars, $561 million, but by doing it right, 
by building up the middle, by getting a middle infield, by getting a pitcher, and by doing it right. I love what the Texas Rangers have done so far this offseason. They are not done. I think they do more after the lockout ends, but they are already easily the number one free agent, the, had the number one free agency so far this season. But that wraps that up. So we have the Angels, Tigers, Mariners, Mets, and Rangers. Let's move on. Speaking of free agency, let's move on to who's still out there and predict where they're going to go. All right. Up first, the guy we just got talking quite a bit about, Carlos Correa. Yeah, Carlos Correa. This one's this one is interesting. So there's not a ton of teams out there anymore looking for shortstops. But but he's the cream of the crop and has been all offseason. He was the number one shortstop out there. Corey Seager goes and gets 10 for 325. Who knows what Correa is going to get now. But I think the Yankees are still out there as potential. The Cubs are still out there as potential. The Angels, maybe, and the Astros. Where's he going? I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs. I'm going to say the Cubs because, one, I heard he called Javier Baez and asked how they treated him and how he liked the organization. Um, that's a big reason of it, to be honest. That's, that's one of my <laughs> biggest reasons. But, look, and he also said he's, he's, not, he's not afraid to join a team that, that hadn't won in, in years past. So, look, I think Cray is going to be a Chicago Cub. I know it's out there, but I like that prediction. Oh, bold prediction. Up next, former Chicago Cub, Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. I love Chris Bryant. I, I thought he was going to be a giant forever when he got traded over there, but that looks to not be the case. Um, the Mets are a possibility, but I'm going to go with your Mariners. Let's go. I think there's a big chance he goes there. Look, he's an MVP type of player, but he also is so he can play everywhere. He'd be a huge pickup for that team. For, for the Mariners, and, and they've proven they're ready to go for it. And you don't just do it. You don't just go and get a Robbie Ray. That's like a sign they're going for it, and Chris Bryant will be the exclamation of, we're really going for it. Things you love to see. Up next, Freddie Freeman. Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves. I refuse to believe anything else. Freddie Freeman is going to be an Atlanta Brave. He is the, the epitome of an Atlanta Brave. They should, they should give him the key to the city along with his new contract. I think a big part of this, by the way, and I think the big reason he's, I don't, you know, he is waiting and now it's going to be until after the new CBA agreement. But I think that only helps his cause. Look, Freddie Freeman's on the back half of his career. That's not a secret. He wants a little bit longer of a deal. But once the DH is official, in the National League, it only helps Freddie Freeman. Yeah. I mean, is he going to play first base until the day he retires? Probably not. He's still playing a good first base, but five, six years down the line, yeah, put him put him at DH. So I think that helps him, and I think that's why he's waiting. But Freddie Freeman's not going anywhere. Atlanta Braves. I heard he might go to the Yankees, and that would hurt my heart. Not happening. Braves. Love to see it. Up next, Clayton Kershaw. In full disclosure here, and Conrad, you know this. Right before we started doing this show, I went, I, I went back and forth on Dodgers, Rangers, Dodgers, Rangers. I had the Dodgers, but then you know what really changed my mind? Talking to Evan earlier about the Rangers and about their offseason and about the free agents they're getting. And without me even getting to my Kershaw question, he said they have a whole allotment of money just to go get Clayton Kershaw. Do you think the Dodgers are doing that? No. I think the Dodgers are looking at a Clayton Kershaw signing as a, yeah, you know, he's been, he's gonna, he's one of the greatest. He's been really good for us. We'll give him an honorary, 
an honorary contract. Thanks for everything. I think the Rangers are looking at it as, we can bring him home. We're changing this organization around. Clayton Kershaw, we need you. And that's a whole different feeling than, oh yeah, we're willing to give you this. The Rangers are a, we need you contract and also coming home. I think Clayton Kershaw, change of pace, total 180. I think he goes to the Rangers now. Yeehaw. Up next, Trevor Story. Yeehaw. <laughs> that was nice. Trevor, Trevor Story. I'm sticking with a prediction I had earlier on in the offseason. I think he sticks with I think he's I think he goes to the Astros. I do not believe that the Astros are willing to fork over the years and money needed to get Carlos Correa long term. So I don't think he re-signs there. And I think they need a shortstop. I know they need a shortstop. And I think Trevor Story is going to be that guy. So I'm sticking with it. Trevor Story, Houston Astros. Got it. Next up, Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, you know, I, by all accounts, I've heard Rizzo enjoyed his time in, in New York. He went there. It's a great place for him. It's a short porch in right field. He plays a good first base. Uh, I think he stays in New York. I think Anthony Rizzo remains a New York Yankee. All right, next up, Nick Cassianos. Yeah, you know, I predicted this same prediction. I have him going to the Philadelphia Phillies. And as the offseason started, we did this a while ago, and I said the Phillies. That was kind of out there at the time. I just thought it'd be a good fit. Recently, I've been hearing about talks between Cassianos and the Phillies. And, and you know me, that just starts getting me even more excited. I could be right about this one. Look, he'd be a perfect fit for the Phillies. The, the place is, a, it's a small ballpark. Nick Castellanos is a friend of the pod. He came on the show earlier this year and, and talked about his time in Detroit and moving on and just talked about how that ballpark was so big and he hits the ball to right center. It wasn't a great fit for him. So he takes that into consideration. The Phillies play at Citizen Bank Park, which is small. The place is tiny. He's going to rake there. So when I look at a place where Nick Castellanos might go, it's going to be somewhere that plays smaller, a hitter-friendly ballpark, a team that needs him, a team that needs an outfielder, a team that's ready to win. The rest of it, It's a perfect recipe. I think the Philadelphia Phillies are a perfect fit for Nick Cassianos, and I think he ends up there. All right. Up next, Carlos Rodon. Carlos Rodon really came on the scene last year. I mean, the dude, we saw it in the playoffs. The dude was throwing basically 100 miles an hour. From the left side, he was a Cy Young candidate for a long, long time. You know what I think happens? I think he goes to the Angels. I think that's Ooh. the big splash they make uh, post-lockout, heading into the season. I think they've proven, look, our, and everybody knows this. This, is what's been, this has been the case for the Angels for years. Oh, their offense is great, but they can't pitch. Even I knew that. You knew that. Fans at home knew that. So this new GM comes in and says, yeah, I see that. In the 25-round draft, he drafted 25 pitchers, all of them. And then so far in free agency, every single one has been a pitcher. I think post-lockout, this is the one big splash they make. Really lock him into that rotation. How cool would a rotation be of Shohei Otani, my best friend, Noah Syndergaard, and Carlos Rodon? That'd be sick. I think it happens. Electric, that's for sure. And then last but not least, Kyle Schwarber. I think I, just watching him in the playoffs – it looked like Kyle Schwarber He's a Red Sox is man. a Red Sox. Yeah. I, I, you could just see it. Like, he was meant to play in Boston. He looks like a Red Sox. They love him. The fans love him. He looks like a Red Sox. Red Sox. Yes. That's what he looks like. 
And you can see it, and it just looks like he's meant to be there. I think he goes back. I think he signs there. Um, I don't think it was ever a doubt, to be honest with you. I, I mean, obviously a doubt. You never know in free agency. But I think Kyle Schwarber sticks with the Red Sox. It's where he was meant to be. So that does it for my predictions. We'll see what happens, but nothing's going to be happening for a little while, at least until this lockup is all all wrapped up but speaking of wrapped up that does it for this week's episode of flipping bats what an absolute blast i'm so glad to be back we took a week off a week uh, after shohei otani won the mvp award but we are back this was a blast for everybody listening thank you so much i love this show i love talking baseball and it continues even in the off season so make sure you're subscribed uh flipping bats pod on spotify on apple podcast if you're on apple Rated five stars, please make sure you're subscribed. And we're also on social media everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The episode's available via video on YouTube. All those, all those places we're good to go at Flippin' Bats Pod. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats. It's a blowout. A high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate.